The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine Opie show. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave, my iPhone made me gay. Airline baby alerts. My brush with Marshall Crenshaw. And we interview Catherine John, Chicago radio legend. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast, an Opie production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com. Following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to have you along. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And uh, Lou, I wanted to uh, cover one thing that. Uh, we talked about on a couple of uh, on, on a previous episode we were talking about uh, some of the early automotive innovations and we were talking about the uh, continuous continuously variable uh, transmission that was uh, pioneered by the uh, Dutch brand DAF and uh, we were you were uh, wondering how many um, horsepower the little DAF was and you had said 17 and I said 25 and when we went off the air I consulted the big book of imports that I have and got a little bit more information we pretty much split the difference on our guesses the 1959 DAF had an air-cooled two-cylinder 600 cc engine cranking out a, a total of 22 horsepower ah, you're, so there you're you closer go. so and then and then in uh, the next year or two, they introduced a 750cc engine with a whopping 30 horsepower. And just in case you're wondering whatever happened to DAF in 1975, Volvo took over the company. So there you go. A little bit of history lesson here on the uh, Car Guys Report. And uh, we were just talking before we went on the air. We were at a local uh, supercar uh, Saturday event. And um, I had to ask uh, you, Lou, a couple of things. Uh, Wanted to talk briefly. We both spotted. uh, This is one of these events where, and I've been talking about this with a couple people, too, where we go to so many of these things and we almost become numb to when we see you know, what people would just go ape over. You know, I mean, when you see three or four Porsche uh, 911 GT3 RSs parked next to each other, or you see, you know, a whole bunch of Lamborghinis or Ferraris, or in this case, there was, what, four Panteras there and one super rare one. And then we saw two four gts both in golf livery which is the golf uh racing gasoline livery the the light blue with the orange racing stripe on it one was what like a 2004 2005 the, the mid yeah five or six yeah right. and then the one was the brand new one that just came out and they're just both cruising around i'm like that's so cool yeah. and even that i mean that i wasn't numb to that because that was like you're not going to see two golf livery four gts cruising around but uh you were ta- telling me a little bit about that one uh the pantera we want to elaborate on that one that that was at the show uh, yeah uh, the question which started where lou did you do any videos did you meet anybody and the person who i met had a uh, is the uh, pantera club of america president okay cool so he can't just drive your regular Dentamaso <laughs> pantera yeah. he has to drive a special one so stay tuned to the my car story with lou youtube channel my car story with lou and then i'll learn more about it cool. as you will but it clearly had a few unique features one of them was there was a little spoiler 
in front of the windshield and behind the hood. Okay. So that was unique. Yeah, some, was for some reason there. I didn't notice it, but I'm sure that's all for Just airflow. Little, and, yeah, little touches. And then on the side of it, it had uh, air intake vents, almost like the new Corvette that's come out or, uh, you know, an older Lamborghini uh, Huracan mm-hmm. or something like that, where it has the venting that goes straight into the side of it. So that'll be... That'll be interesting to video that one. I'm looking and forward to meeting him. I did you. I, I was wondering because I was I was talking to a friend of mine as we were walking around the show, and I was looking for you, and you were probably way off somewhere else. But uh, do you know if that still has the 351 uh, Cleveland in it? I think it. I think it either has the 351 Cleveland or the Windsor. It's w- yeah. one of those two. But yeah. it still has the Ford V8, though. That, well, I'm going to find out. You'll about find that. out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll both know about that in a future episode. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a great event, and yeah, I, I don't want to uh, belabor the point here, but I was asking Lou uh, if he had seen the uh, the mishap that happened outside the event, and uh, you said you didn't see it. I saw the aftermath, but of course, I always call them the paparazzi. It's the uh, usually the high school kids that hang out at the uh, entrance or exit of these events with their cameras and their cell phones and their video recorders. And, uh, of course, this, this uh, mishap, as I'm calling it, got caught on tape, and it's, on, it's, on, it's online right now, so you can certainly find it if you really want to. But there was a guy that had a 911. I think it was a turbo. I'm not positive. I don't know all the details, but I guess he was revving up his engine for the paparazzis, and then when the light turned uh, green, he made his right-hand turn out onto the, uh, the four-lane highway there, and he uh, got a little too happy happy with the throttle a little too uh, tail happy and he spun i don't know how many times he spun out i think he did like one full 360 and then he he managed to high center his porsche on the concrete median right in the center of the the two four lanes and he was perfectly uh perpendicular to the <laughs> to the lanes of traffic and i was like oh that, that can't be good four tires hanging <laughs> yeah, off the edge yeah that's not well, good he was totally airborne as so far to speak. as i could tell yeah that's yeah that's crazy. and i will and i just because i saw the aftermath of it i hadn't seen the video at that point I'm that's like, actually how did that happen <laughs> that's actually difficult to do I, that's what i you thought because to, to land it just right exactly exactly of course the police were there and there was no other you know uh people involved in it or anything which was good but you know i told my girlfriend about it. and she goes oh, was did anyone get hurt and i said no everyone was fine but the guy's got the dumbass award of the year now yeah, it's a right perpetual you know for in perpetuity on the on the internet now so yeah <laughs> so word to the wise when you exit car shows don't try to be, ham it up or show off just be cool and you'll be you'll be all right but i did want to talk about that uh one thing too when i saw uh coming over to the car guys warehouse uh today lou i'm always uh, keeping my eyes out for interesting cars on the road i wasn't able to catch up to it but a, a couple blocks ahead of me i actually saw and i haven't you never see these on the road these days a red chevy monza which was oh, wow. uh, the car from the mid '70s that Chevy made? It was, I think, it was based on the actual on the Vega chassis. I always thought Monzas were good-looking cars, and you could actually get a V8 in that car too, which was amazing. I mean, a small-block V8, but still, it's just a very cool car. It, I think I've seen one at, at a car show this summer, and it was fairly modified. It, it was. It was in between stock and, and a resto mod, but it's interesting that, you know, they sold a bunch of those cars. And that's like an, another model that, like, where did they all go? Nobody ever hung on to them. there was a them. Buick model. And the there was Skylark. a Buick model. I, you know, it's a Skyhawk. Skyhawk Sky Hawk or something. I was, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was trying to remember when I saw that car, because I, I, I assume it was, a, it was a Monza, but I was far enough away that, you know, the shape was identified as a Monza, but then I'm thinking, you know, maybe it is the Buick version of the Monza, which, and I was trying to remember what the name was, and it was 
the Skyhawk, I think. I think it was said, Skyhawk. Yeah, I think it was. Wasn't there a, was there an Oldsmobile I, version? There might have been or? an Oldsmobile. There might have been. I, I know there was a Buick version and definitely a Chevy Monza. There might have been. I was even thinking if there was a Pontiac version of it, too. But I don't think there was a Pontiac version. There could have been an Oldsmobile version of it, too, maybe. But, yeah. um, again, just a, a rare car you just don't see too often. And speaking of rare cars, I was at another event um, the next day after our supercar event. And this is another one where... You know, you hardly ever see one. And at this event, there were two early 1960s Maserati 350 GTs. Mm. Beautiful car. Nice big six-cylinder twin uh, spark engine. So it's got uh, 12 spark plug wires coming out of it. And there was a guy standing next to me. He goes, is that thing a straight 12? And I go, no, it's a six with twin spark plugs in each cylinder. And it's got the dual uh, dual coil sitting on the on the firewall. And I went home. I, I had an idea how much those were worth. And these were all, I, I'd say, an easy number four car. And it was raining, too. I mean, I got to respect anyone that's going to bring a car like that out in the rain and drive it. And um, they're about 250 grand each in in that condition, at least. And one of them that was parked there had wire wheels on it and according to my Haggerty price guide it said wire wheels are a $15,000 bump in price just for the wire wheels on it wow. so very cool cars though beautiful beautiful cars and it was really cool to see two of them on a rainy uh, weekend morning at a uh, at a cars and coffee so that was uh, that was very cool and um, you know that's the kind of stuff that you know us car guys live for I guess because it's, it's always exciting to see more than one example and I don't even even think they knew that they were going to be there together because mm. they were kind of talking to each other and comparing notes. I heard the one guy had just bought his car in Italy and he had it he had it brought over, so he was a new owner into that. But uh, the Maserati G, uh, 3500 GT, very cool car, and I was glad to see a couple of them in the flesh, as they say. If you like what we do here on the Car Guys Report, be sure to tell a friend about us. We are the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and we're available online at radiomisfits.com. You can follow us at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter, and of course, you can always email us with your questions, comments, concerns, uh, or your good old attaboys. You can email us at carguysreports at hotmail.com. And uh, one thing we like to do here on the Car Guys Report, Lou, as you know, we like to uh, talk about uh, different uh, cars in relation to how they show up on various lists of things. And we've got another list, as I say. This is an interesting one, too, because it kind of helps support one of my uh, theories, and I'll get to that shortly. This is a list that came out from uh, Haggerty recently, 10 classic cars that are not currently hot in the market. Usually we're talking about up-and-coming cars or cars that are, are catching fire. And these, these are the ones that are cooling off for various reasons. And there's no real surprises here. A lot of them are just kind of big luxury cars that people don't seem to be really lusting after. But I'll just start, and this is in no particular order, really. But uh, one of them is the 1976-79 to 79 Cadillac Seville. And that's a classic-looking car. It's the one that kind of looked like a little Rolls-Royce. And I always thought that was a good-looking car. They're, they're affordable. They're um, luxurious. They were one of the early downsized GM luxury cars, so it wasn't like, you know, we're always railing on the Cimarron and stuff. It was, this was way before the Cimarron, and this was actually a pretty good car. And they said, and, and just to preface this, too, kind of like what I'm saying here, it says an important thing to note is that there is nothing necessarily wrong with these 10 cars, just that the market is currently not favoring them as much as other models. So the cool thing is, if you like something 
that's on this list or something similar to what's on this list, now would be a good time to really investigate and check the auction sites, check the listings at Hemmings and bring a trailer and places like that online to see what's out there because um, it might be a good time to uh, pick up one of those. But they said the Seville uh, was tended to uh, lure younger uh, younger buyers away from imported luxury cars, and they said it was a minor sales success, but the plain styling is seemingly unable to draw in buyers at present but i actually i've always liked the styling of the of the seville the three box look i think it's a good looking car but that was one of the ones on the list another one was the uh, 1965 through 1980 and that's a pretty big range rolls royce silver shadow and those are the classic rolls royces that you'll see in a lot of 1970s uh TV shows and things like that, always associated with huge luxury and and stuff. But I think one of the reasons why people don't like these is because they're just hideously expensive to maintain. They're not easy to maintain. They're overly complex. They're overbuilt. They're just not you know, a car. And then plus they don't have much, uh, in the way of performance. It's got a V8 in there, but it was before they were putting the turbos in and they're just kind of dogs really, you know, as far as performance goes. And they said here now, currently the most perfect concourse example is only likely to fetch 25 grand at wow. present. And that kind of goes along with, you know, like my, my, um, experience with my Bentley, pretty much the same thing. I mean, this, you know, the Bentley was a $275,000 car, 92, and you can get them, you know, every day for 35 to 40 grand now. And same thing with the Rolls Royces. I always think that, again, it goes along with my thing of British cars depreciating a lot. So we've got another Cadillac on the list. And this one surprises me because, but uh, but again, it, it doesn't surprise me from the standpoint that one of my mantras lately has been that Cadillacs, especially older Cadillacs, are underpriced. This is the 65 to 70 Cadillac DeVille. Classic car, the stacked headlights in front, the vertically stacked headlights in, fa- in front, just the big classic awesome Cadillac. They had 472 cubic inch engines that were introduced in 1968. Just cool cars. And I don't know why that they're, the, the market would be cooling off on these. Maybe just because they're just kind of a little bit too big and too floaty and, and obviously gas mileage. You know, even if you're driving to a car show, you might only get 10 miles a gallon. But I think definitely that's something to keep your eye on because I think those cars are awesome. They're well made. And if, if Haggerty says they're cooling off in the market, then now would be a great time to buy. I really do think so. Um, another one that doesn't surprise me on the list, just because these weren't very good cars, a 1975 to 1980 MG, MGB. So those are the ones that were kind of getting ugly because they had to put the rubber bumpers on for the federalization and stuff and the rubber, and they didn't have the chrome bumpers anymore. And I mean, an MG was never known for quality. So they said it's always going to suffer in the American collector market uh, due to... To, due to the more ungainly front end as the raised suspension to comply with, as I just said, federal leg- legislation. Um, they, they just said they're kind of holding their own, but um, I just don't think there's the demand. And plus, there's not that much of a supply left on those either. I mean, they sold a lot, but I think most of them are just ridden hard, put away muddy, rusted away. Um, have you done an MG, MGB before? I've done some MGs, um, not many. Yeah. But first of all, you don't see many. No, you don't. And like you said, they tended to rust out. So yeah. I think it becomes more when you see a good one. Yeah. And a good one meaning not rusted out, still looking original. Yeah. Uh, there weren't a lot of, you know, the, those cars didn't seem to have a big day two problem, meaning that they were, you know, nobody tried to put craggers on them. No. Nobody tried to turn them into something that they weren't. 
but but yet, uh, like you were talking about the Monza, you just start to not see them as often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the best one of that 1975 to 1980 range, I think the last year they imported them here in 1980, I think they made, I don't know if it was a special edition or, or something, but it's the one that I remember seeing a fair amount of. Was it black with like silver uh, uh you know, lettering and things on it. And it was a good looking car. And those were the, definitely the 1980 models. And that one would probably be one to try to look out for, but they just said that, you know, between the reliability of British cars back in the seventies and then just the way they looked and they were underpowered, they're just not having much traction right now in the market. Now here's another one that, that kind of supports what I was saying and a, a few prior episodes, and we will talk at some point in the future more about the new Corvette C8, the new mid-engine Corvette, once it actually hits the market and people start buying it and seeing how what people actually have to say about the car, how it performs and everything. But I was saying that there's enough of diehard Corvette fans out there that are turned off by the mid-engine concept and I and I've been predicting that when the mid-engine Corvette the C8 starts actually being for sale, which is in a you know a couple months, it's going to focus more attention back on the traditional Corvettes, whether it's a C3, a C4, a C5, or whatever, or even earlier. And um, they kind of said that here in um, this article: the 1968 through 82. Chevy Corvette, which is the C3 series of Corvettes. And it says here that the C3 Corvette makes this list as something of a surprise given the level of excitement surrounding the forthcoming new C8 mid-engine model. Um, Because it says Haggerty has seen increased demand for other cars with a modern version, which is what I'm trying to get get over you know say here so this goes against the grain which is interesting because that's what i thought that it's like it's gonna you know focus more attention on the on the lower lower uh older models so we'll see what happens but um those are plentiful cars i think in the market they're really actually pretty crude it was still a body and frame construction again it was a corvette so it wasn't known for for fabulous fit and finish it was still fiberglass it wasn't sheet molded uh, plastic so um Maybe a C3 Corvette, if you're looking for a, a cheap performance sports car slash muscle car, that could be uh, one that you might consider. Another one on the list is uh, Cannon, Frank Cannon's car from uh, 1968. Actually, he drove a 1970 in the first season, the 1968 through 71 Lincoln Continental Mark III. Great car. Um, I thought these cars are really cool. Some people have been um, resto-modding them and putting on air, air ride suspensions, lowering them, slamming them, and making them look really cool. Uh, Cannon drove, drove this in the first series, the first year of the series, and then he went to the, um, when they replaced the Continental Mark III with the Mark IV, completely different body style. But that first season, he's driving one of these cars, and they're just cool cars. I think they're neat. And again, this is another one that it was a well-made car, and I think if you're looking for a... Um, uh, a, a luxury car that's affordable as a collector. This is the, another one along with those Cadillacs that we were talking about uh, would be a good one to get. And they are, Haggerty makes a, a, a note here saying that they are relatively rare and attention paid to the special designer series editions of the Mark IV, which is the one that came after that, uh, helps keep this one below the radar. But definitely a cool car if you're looking for one. And then we shipped over to uh, one of the first imports on the list other than the MGB is 66 
67 through 71 Mercedes-Benz 280 SE, which is a great car. And again, that was one that we had featured um, on the well-bought, well-sold uh, segment here on the Car Guys Report. Uh, we had a, a convertible one of these, and I had marked it. It, it sold for 91000 and I thought it was a, a fairly well-bought, fairly well-sold. They're saying uh, Conqueror's examples are pushing 73, which I find hard to believe. Because these cars are, I thought they were really catching fire a few years ago. So maybe they're starting to cool off. Again, they're they're essentially handmade. They're big. They're for a European car. They're big. They're luxurious. They're expensive to maintain. Uh, the power isn't that great because most of them had the six cylinder in them. If you get the uh, V8, those are the ones that are actually commanding the most value. But uh, again, uh, Haggerty's saying a. Um, Mercedes 280 SE from uh, 67 through 71 could be a a bargain, more or less, in the marketplace. And then, Lou, we we move on to a few others. A 76 to 89 Porsche 911 Turbo, which surprises me because, you know, the air-cooled Porsches were just going crazy a, a little while ago. And you always think the turbo Porsches would really hold their value. But um, they're saying an average value of 140000 according to Haggerty. Even cars in fair condition, they say, are worth around $73,000, meaning younger buyers will have a hard time scaring themselves into a, in a 930. So I guess they're saying that there's not a lot of demand because maybe they're overpriced. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I do think the air-cooled Porsche market is is cooling off a little bit no pun intended so we'll have to just kind of wait and see what happens with that but whatever you do if you buy one don't uh, try to show off when you leave your cars and coffee and (laughs) let's talk a little bit about that list um from a styling standpoint that mark three is tremendous that's an awesome car i mean yeah (laughs) from a styling standpoint it's just absolutely beautiful and i can see where they're rare. They're styled well. They're they are floaty, but the interiors are real nice. The interiors are awesome. The seats are great. The dashboard has like four or five like uh, semi uh, square instrument uh, yeah. pods in it. So that they got big engines. They got the the four sixty in there. I think yeah. it's so, just they're awesome. So that one surprises me. the the one The fact that the uh, Corvette is coming down the C three that's already been pretty much depressed for yeah, a you while. Think so. so um, I, I don't know how you continue to, so to speak, beat up the Corvette yeah. market. I mean, every Corvette, no matter what, you know, C1, 2, 3, you know, the, whatever version, they're pretty cool cars. Um, the Cadillac, that 79, it's a glorified Impala. Oh, the uh, the the Seville? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it does look like an Impala, too. You're right. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a gussied up Impala. I could see how that would slip. Um, but the the turbo Porsches too. That that again, maybe it's just that the market was 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 high, but I, it seems like those cars still have a lot of demand. And I think the the uh, younger person enjoys the Porsches as well because the Porsche hasn't really changed the look, and and that look becomes very classic to them. Well, the other thing too is you don't need a Porsche turbo. I mean, I have a just a base total base model. Uh, 911 Carrera 4 so it's all wheel drive but it's not turbo it's not an S and it still has just all the performance you could ever want well what year's yours it's a 2011 okay but that's a big difference than an 80s sure it is but I'm just saying though yeah you're you're right with the power and stuff but I'm just still saying that you know you're still going to get handling you're still going to get the look right and you save a lot of money. Plus, you're not going to. It's not going to be as much of a headache to maintain or source parts right. for. So, yeah. Um, but you make a good point that you know, it's the iconic look and the iconic 
nature of that model that I think and then has held the value. Yeah, and then throwing a turbo on it yeah. makes it pretty cool. Cause but, I, but I would say you don't need the turbo. If you're looking, if you want to get into an old air-cooled Porsche, pick up a, like a 1982 911SC. And those are going 35, 40 grand right now, maybe a little less depending on, on condition and everything. And that's a great car. And they can be set up very nicely for track use, autocrossing, or just uh, even, you know, dare I say, daily driving, maybe, if it's if it's well sorted out enough. So we got a couple more on the list, Lou. A 1963 through 71 Mercedes-Benz 230 SL, which is the classic one that they called the Pagoda because it had a uh, removable hardtop on it that had kind of a Pagoda look to it beautiful car and that's this one surprises me because they said they they've been falling from their peak in 2016 so they said uh, cars in good condition good condition dropping around fifteen thousand dollars in value so i've always thought that's a gorgeous car and it's again it's of the era when the mercedes were more or less still hand built and and things like that so that's a good car and then the last one on this list of collector cars that are cooling off according to Haggerty and this one doesn't really surprise me because this is kind of an oddball car the uh, 1988 through 91 Buick Rayada remember the Rayada oh yeah, yeah. Sure. and they the show a convertible two-door. version here yeah two door um, I think they're all convertibles I could have sworn they made a hard top Rayada why don't I maybe I see I see so yeah even the introduction of the convertible version in 90 that's what it says here so they didn't make both i knew they did yeah uh but low production they said twenty-one thousand examples produced in total of the convertible so um i mean it says average values of just thirty three hundred dollars wow that's 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 That's, well that car was was uh i'm gonna say overpriced to begin with yeah because you went into a buick dealer and you knew it was a little more luxury and then you saw a sports coupe and then they put this massive price tag on it. What compared massive price tag to other cars? I mean, it was almost as much as a Corvette, I believe. Uh, when it came out, yeah, I don't have a, a close a, to a initial price on yeah, it. But yeah. but they were loading up with a bunch of that dopey uh, late '80s, early '90s technology, quote unquote. They said it featured a touchscreen interior display to control the air conditioning and audio system. Boy, we we know how all how highly reliable that stuff was. Yeah, <laughs> and even keyless entry was offered on later cars, and it had the 3.8 liter corporate V6 in it, which was you know. Eh, you know, n- nothing special there. So, yeah, thirty three hundred with an average value—that's nothing. No, so that's that—that's entry. That's definitely an entry level uh, of uh, uh, budget there. So, just something to keep in mind on that list. I think uh, definitely my picks to click on that would be the uh, Mercedes two thirty SL, the um, Cadillac, and the uh, which Cadillac the sixty five through okay, seventy. Right. I, want, I wanted to yeah. clarify that, and I then agree, the Lincoln. I agree with you, and the Lincoln Mark three. Yeah, so. now yeah, you're against the Seville, so. But um, definitely. But I think we're totally in agreement on the Lincoln Mark III. That is just a cool yeah, car. Yeah, really. Very cool car. And if you want to really see one of those in action, uh, check out the first season of the series Canon. It came out in 19, I think it was 71 was the first year, yeah. 70 or 71. Or you can go to my car story with and, and, and punch you've up got a couple too. Yeah, you can see, sure. But you got to see William Conrad tooling around in that thing. You though. really <laughs> don't need to see William Conrad tooling around. Come on, around he had that a thing. car phone. That's <laughs> really cool. But um, and this is another issue, too, that uh, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this topic, but I, I came across it online the other day. And this is something 
that uh, a lot of luxury goods manufacturers have been dealing with throughout their entire uh, you know history of making a luxury product. We're talking about uh, luxury brands, Porsche. We're talking about like Rolex. You know, any of the high end jewelry brands. They've always had to deal with counterfeit merchandise in the market, and actually. According to this article that uh, came out in Road and Track, Porsche's counterfeit department last year confiscated $67 million worth of fake Porsche goods, uh, whether online or whatever. They said performing raids on counterfeit factories in China is all in a day's work for uh, Porsche's brand protection squad. So they actually have a a group of employees that search out. And and the reason why companies do this, obviously, is they're protecting their brand and they're protecting their reputation because counterfeits are getting so good these days even because i'm a watch guy as i've mentioned before and counterfeit rolexes can even fool an authorized dealer of rolexes until they open up the back and really look at the movement but even the movements are starting to get really good i mean it's just scary how good counterfeits are getting in in jewelry and then you think well okay then they can be doing the same thing when it comes to car parts or merchandise or whatever obviously porsche is a a popular brand they have a three-person team that uh, has confiscated more than 200,000 individual items uh, valued at nearly 60 million euros or $67 million. And they say of those items, 33,000 were spare car parts worth $2.24 million, and the rest were a mixture of memorabilia, apparel, and various other non-related, uh, non-car-related goods. So a whole bunch of stuff, but they're talking about, you know, mainly like having the Porsche logo and things like that on there. So it's good that they're making an effort to... Um, clean up this clean up the market but again you know with places like ebay they try to police people selling stuff and you don't you have no idea sometimes what you're getting because so much of it comes from china and they said that the team says around 80 percent of the goods confiscated came from china and basically uh, shenzhen a city about an hour's drive north of hong kong is one of the world's main locations for manufacturing counterfeit items so it's just amazing and they say things to look out for just you know, just look at the overall quality of the item. Uh, look at the way they do the the logos and the emblems, the printing. Um, they <laughs> this is pretty funny too. The the Porsche emblem. You, you know, it's in the middle of a Porsche emblem. Was that a little uh, with the, the, the little shield or it's something? A hor- yeah, the shield, and then the shield has a horse yeah. in the center. And they said here, we sometimes also find that a different animal is shown in the center of the logo. <laughs> They have, they have like a kangaroo or something? I don't something. know. It says, for example, instead of the Porsche horse, it could be a sheep standing on its hind legs. Yeah, you know, a sheep on its hind legs does look kind of horse-like. I could see where that happens. You just have think, to grow its hair out a little bit and shave its back. I think that is just that is just hilarious. It just it totally cracks me up. But this is funny, too. There was a... a Another thing they said to look out for, they said Porsche packaging can also provide clues to uh, when attempting to identify fraudulent items. For example, if the packaging says Kruntrollert Qualität, and I'm not a German person by any means, instead of the correctly spelled German expression Kontrolliert Qualität with an umlaut over the A, then it is a counterfeit. And I actually went and I had, had a, a Porsche box with some center caps or something, and I looked at mine, and as far as I could tell, because it came from a Porsche dealer, so it better be the real thing, it looked okay. But that's the kind of stuff that a lot of the counterfeiters overlook 
they just little details like that and they think that the average show yeah. is not going to know about it so uh, but that could go for for any luxury brand that we're not just talking about car parts we're talking about jewelry we're talking even like brands like you know mainstream electronics apple sony whatever just it's a it's a wild wild west out there sometimes when it comes to that stuff but an interesting um feature that porsche is making a concerted effort with their three three person team to uh actually round up that stuff as much as possible We have to take a quick break. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, will be right back. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on the next Back to You, we're going to visit with travel advisor Kathy Moran. We certainly are. We're going to go to extreme places. Kathy, we want to get somewhere beyond Rosemont. Where should we go? Italy. Italy. It's such a crowd, please. And the food. Okay. So good. But she has been some other places, too, and we're going to check out what... Those are. We are on the next Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. <laughs> on this week's And Friends, Tommy, what happens? Well, first of all, we get banned from China. And Kimmy learns a little bit about the male anatomy. And I learned the story of why you, Samuel, got lost in Gary, Indiana. And we insult Indiana. And many other states. All of that on this week's episode of And Friends on Radiomisfits.com. And we're back. And Lou, in your absence uh, a while back when I was uh, doing one of the uh, Car Guys reports solo, I did a feature from a uh, about a, a Pontiac Safari station wagon that was uh, sold on Bring a Trailer, and the thing went for something like $37,000. And it's interesting that... All of a sudden, these big uh, mid, late 60s, early 70s, big family station wagons are kind of gaining traction all of a sudden. And one of the reasons, I think, because I don't know how much TV you watch, but I know that uh, the HGTV channel, which has uh, House Hunters, and actually I think it uh, debuts in a little while, and uh, Discovery on uh, the show Fast and Loud, uh, they've been doing, um, and Chopped actually too on, on the Food Network, have been doing uh, things to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Brady Bunch because it started in 1969, and they've had the, um, the, the the six kids on it because obviously Florence Henderson, Robert Reed, and Ann B. Davis are no longer with us, but they still have um, Marsha, Jan, Cindy, Bobby, Peter, and uh, Greg. And uh, Fast and Loud just did a segment where they where Barry Williams, who played Greg, wanted to have Richard Rawlings and his team recreate uh, the 1969 uh, Plymouth station wagon that they drove in the series. And it's funny because Richard Rawlings said, he said, these cars are impossible to find, and they are. I mean, they're out there, but it seems like the ones that are really in good shape command a lot of money. He paid 15000 for it, and the car looked pretty awesome as it was. It was a shame that they actually kind of hopped it up a little bit but um they kind of put put their spin on it and it actually turned out really well they put side pipes on it and they gave it a, a cool uh kind of brownish gold paint job with a blacked out hood it looked really cool but what i'm getting to is that i think for some reason people are just glomming onto these wagons and as nice as that safari was that i talked about in some episodes past on uh bring a trailer recently and i'm talking about this one well sold for another family truckster this one was a 1968 Chevrolet Caprice station wagon. So it was top of the line being a Caprice. Gorgeous car, though. I mean, it's got the fake wood siding on it. It's got the rally wheels on it, white wall tires, roof rack, 
21,000 indicated miles, which is pretty amazing. 396 uh, V8 in it, three-speed automatic. The color was Tripoli Turquoise over Turquoise Vinyl with the wood siding. And this thing sold for $38,000, Wow, which is just amazing. I mean, people, you can tell that there's somebody out there, at least two people, that really want, you know, these wagons that you just don't find because nobody hung on to these things, especially with 21,000 miles. It must have not gone on very many family vacations. Yeah. Because um, you're not going to get that kind of mileage on a car that's 51 years old. Uh, I do think that uh, most of them were, were, were family, you know, the, the minivan or the SUV of the day, they were just driven until the wheels fell off or rusted out or dented up or whatever, and then they threw them away. So there are some survivor big American wagons out there, and this is the second one in a relatively short period of time that has sold for very, very good money. So I don't think you're ever going to see $38,000 out of it if you were the buyer and you go to resell it unless you're unless it was the guy that just lost out on that auction. But interesting um, things to uh, contemplate. And if you're feeling nostalgic for those big wagons, you can always watch uh, reruns of the Brady Bunch, which, according to uh, Barry Williams, since it went off the air in 1974 as the series, the Brady Bunch has never officially been off the air. It's been in syndication ever since for like 45 years, mm. which is I want to go back to the wagon amazing. for a Sure, second. yeah, go ahead. We, although I'm happy to talk about Marsha anytime you'd like to, uh, personally. So we could talk Marsha all night long. But let's go back to, I'm having some fun here. Let's go back to the wagon. So... Put yourself in the time frame. The wagons were exactly what it sounds like. Throw things in the wagon, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, whether it's groceries or kids, it was never a status symbol. You never drove up to a place going, check out my wagon, right? I mean, those two things just never went together. So the the fact that either people are starting to restore them, I'm catching more attention for wagons as I'm out there at car shows that people are starting to move towards than I can recall ever. Oh, sure. I mean, as it gets more and more unique and more and more rare uh, to see a wagon, uh, as a matter of fact, this weekend I'm going to video a uh, Plymouth Sports Fury wagon, Uh, not because I was thinking, Lou, you've got to video that car, but when I was at this guy's location, it was in the background, and people said, you're going to get a video of that wagon, right? You're going to video of that wagon? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I wasn't planning on yeah. it. But now that several people, I say several is more than that, lots of people have showed an interest. So it's really, and is it a cool wagon? It has hideaway headlights on a wagon, which is pretty rare. Cause and a lot a, of them had the rear-facing jump seat, too, yeah. which is totally cool. Yeah. Because it was for two people, and you look out the back of the the, the the back window as you're driving down yeah. the road and a lot of them had trick tailgates either the ones that would would slide into the body yeah or or you could fold it down or fold it out right. just cool stuff like that and they're enormous if you really look at how big those wagons are yeah. how much carrying capacity they have inside yeah it's unreal that buick roadmaster wagon Huge, yeah was semi you could fit a semi inside the Buick Road. And that had the LT1 <laughs> engine in it, too, I believe, Is when it right? came out in, yeah, in, in the 90s. Yeah, so yeah. that was a, a you know, car of some power, luxury, ride, carrying capacity, everything. It did not look good, though. It looked like it was a little it, puffed up. It looked up. a little bloated, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it definitely looked like it was running outside of its wheel yeah. wheels. But, yeah, just interesting how, uh, you know, things like that that you 
you know, whether it's the Monza you talked about earlier that you don't see anymore, mm-hmm. or when's the last time you've seen a Pinto on the road, uh, you know, just interesting how these things are every day, every day, every day, and then just whoosh, gone. Uh, yeah. And, and another interesting thing too, is I've always kind of liked wagons for whatever reason, not necessarily the big American wagons, but I've always liked a lot of the European wagons. I mean, Saab made the 95, which was based on obviously the 96, but then, uh, uh, Volk, or Volvo obviously is well known for their wagons that we would see the 240 series wagons, which is the classic Volvo that most people think about. But they made the uh, 122 wagon, which was called the Amazon. Um, and then uh, even recently in the last 20 years, BMW um, made some very cool three series and five series wagons that they sold here in the States. They didn't sell a lot of them, but they did sell you know a handful and when you and they're rare though and when you look at them they're really good looking cars and of course mercedes has always sold a wagon the e-class wagon and this well, could be what's the best wagon what's the best well, I, was, wagon? I was gonna say well i think the best you're you're leading into my next the thing i was just gonna say next is the fact that and this could be a, a topic for another show is if there if you had to have one car what would it be and i've always often thought that the mercedes e63 AMG wagon could almost be the one car you could live with if you had to have one, one car because it's got the carrying capacity. It's got the traction because it's all-wheel drive. It's an AMG, so it's got 600 and whatever horsepower. It's got performance out the butt. It's rare. It's luxurious. It's 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 cool looking. It's just everything that you know a car guy could almost want. And you don't look dorky when you drive a, an E-Class wagon that's an AMG. They're well, badass cars. Well, when you... We're talking design now. So if we're... I think they're good-looking cars, though. I think they're neat. Right. So so the challenge is wagon and design. Those two words usually don't fit in the same sense. With the exception of... The Tri-5, the 55, 56, and 57. The Nomads, yeah. Sure, yeah, those those are gorgeous. Those were super cool. Yeah. So that, I think the Europeans have done wagons very well, though. I mean, like those BMW wagons I was just talking about, like a three series wagon and a five series wagon. They're good looking cars. They really are. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you can't. And again, we, we get off on the topic of nomads. You never see those anymore either. I mean, yeah. they didn't make a lot back then. A lot of right. them got chopped or made into pickups or whatever. Yeah, always but, day twoed. Yeah, it's, it's. I'm looking for a nomad that isn't day twoed, which means they're put. I don't know if I've ever even seen one. I think I've seen ones that right. are close, but right. they're still somehow tweaked. Still looking for the original hubcaps, the yeah. interior. That the interior is not a problem. That's pretty standard. But getting the rims to look like they were and and not overkilled and flames coming off the hood and stuff like that gets challenging well we uh like to be challenging here on the car guys report and if you like uh, what we're doing here on the car guys report be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the radio misfits podcast network you can check out minutia men rick kempfer and dave stern are consumers of worthless information and every week they share their take on what they have learned in the podcast minutia men it's an opi show and it's available only on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place, and that is RadioMisfits.com. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Costable. You are listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to uh, have you along. And uh, we're going to finish up the program here, Lou, with a couple of Swedish-flavored car stories. Uh, this was an article that came out uh, earlier this year in uh, Car and Driver magazine, and I actually lent it to um, my uh, Swedish buddy who's got three Volvos. And it's just such a cool, uh, such a cool article, and it kind of jives with 
with what he's told me as far as the car culture in Sweden. And also, I'll, I'll transition to another uh, Swedish person that I know a little bit later on when we're talking about this. But there's a Swedish mining town in um, Sweden, obviously, called Karuna, K-I-R-U-N-A. And it's actually north of the Arctic Circle, so it's way, way up there in mm. Sweden. And basically all they do is they mine there. It's like a, a the town is something like 5,000 people. They said the nearest Ikea is a four-hour drive south. <laughs> but it's the coolest thing because they have a really, really active car club there and a car culture. And basically, for lack of a better word, these these people are Swedish greasers from, you know, you could you could turn the clock back to 1955. And this is exactly what these people would have looked like back then, too. They wouldn't look any different. They're sitting there. They're they're lowering their cars. They're they're putting mag wheels on them. They're chopping them. They're they're you know, and they're, they're partying, too, which is cool. I mean, they're, they're living the greaser culture. They're wearing the jackets. They're they're drinking beer. They're, you know, totally embracing their cars, partly because there's probably not a whole hell of a lot to do up there. Uh, so far north of the Arctic Circle. But there's a, a picture that was obviously taken probably from a drone showing, you know, the 50 or 60 cars that are in this club. And there's just some, I mean, I was uh, showing you these these pictures and there's just like flame jobs. And there's, you know, there's a guy that's got a 58 Buick that he slammed and they got the biggest smiles on their faces. And they're just really enjoying the culture. And uh, I talked to my friend um, who's got the Volvos and he's from Sweden. He, he lived there uh in the 60s he was born there and um he goes back he's still got family there and he didn't have any real hard and fast reasons why the swedes have embraced our our classic cars only from the standpoint that he was just saying that yeah it's true though i mean you go and there's car there's car shows all the time with just american cars muscle cars classics just all kinds of stuff and they really really enjoy it i mean it's not like they don't have awesome cars to choose from on their own i mean they've got the volvos they've got the sobs they've got cool stuff like konaseg's and because i believe konaseg is is swedish but maybe Mm -hmm. it isn't yeah um but just very cool things and when i imported my um well let's pause for a second there is a difference between a 50s car to purchase and a koenigsegg big time but i'm just saying (laughs) though that so i I, i'm moving to sweden if they're giving away koenigseggs the the underlying carness is there though the fact that the people are are now reporting from sweden (laughs) today as he's driving his (laughs) koenigsegg which we saw at a supercar event a couple of years ago too but um when i imported my 90 my saab 96 four years ago i actually i used a, a swedish agent uh, over in Swiss, uh, Switzerland, Sweden, to make the um, purchase much easier. And what I did, and this is my claim to fame here, is um, we talked briefly uh, in the segment about the station wagon. We talked about the, the TV show Fast and Loud, which has been on the air now for about six or seven years. And in the earlier episodes, uh, Richard Rawlings would have his friend Magnus come over from Sweden. And Magnus would buy uh, classic cars that Richard was looking to flip, whether it was a Cadillac, a, you know, a Chevy, whatever he had, f- mostly stuff from the 50s to mid-60s. And Magnus ships them back in a container, and he's got a, a basically a, a combination garage and, and used car business in Sweden, and he sells these cars over there. He either restores them or sells them as is or whatever, and he's making a living at it. And when I saw that, saw him, and I'm thinking, how the hell can I get a a Saab 96 in Sweden and I actually emailed Magnus and he ended up being my agent 
and he's the coolest guy and he's actually got a uh uh he owns a uh, condominium in dallas because he comes here so often and he basically fills up you know a bunch of containers and ships a bunch of stuff back and it's a it's a business for him it's awesome and he was just invaluable with um you know obviously my acquisition of of, of my sob but i always like you know i haven't talked to him for a while but uh many times when i'll when i'll talk to him i'll say hey what have you bought recently and he'll say oh i just picked up a 55 ford victoria or a you know a 57 chevy and it's just cool that that the market is there and you can go to his website it's lone scar cars uh i think it's i don't know if it's dot com or dot se because he's in sweden but uh you can see his his inventory and it's just this culture that i mean i know for a long time that a lot of the european countries and even japan to the asian countries have had interests in our culture and our ways our western ways and things like that but for some reason it really seems like the germ or the germans the swedes really embrace our cars and i think it's cool because it's one way that um our cars are going to be able to live on because if people ever lose uh interest of them here there's always another market for them over there so it's something to consider and we'll segue from that into one more early automotive technology that i wanted to talk about we had talked about that on a a previous episode some of the things like the cvt transmission that was uh, debuted in the daf and this was probably the most significant and of course it comes from volvo Volvo and Saab, the two Swedish car makers, have always been about safety way before safety was a thing and before people cared about safety. Now all they care about is safety, efficiency, and will my phone be able to stream through my stereo in the car. But Volvo in 1959 uh, introduced the three-point seatbelt. And my friend who's got a 59 Volvo has the three-point seatbelts in it. It's pretty cool because, you know, my 58 Impala doesn't have seat. It didn't come with seatbelts. Somebody put a lap belt in. But none of those cars, none of the American cars didn't have seatbelts until the mid-60s, I believe. And they weren't even three-points. You know, I remember our, our 69 Buick had, you know, a regular lap belt. Then it had this big, clunky, separate shoulder belt thing that kind of folded up into the roof that and he nobody had to like, ever yeah, used. nobody ever used exactly because it was really clunky and hard to use and the three-point belts on the on the uh, on the volvo work great and even the the three-point that i have on the on the Saab, and this is something that was on the Saab 99 too and i remember showing it to you in the video lou that i don't know why they got away from it but literally what Saab had in the 70s was just one loop that you would pull across your body and it would clip into a jaw. There was even no buckle on the on the on the webbing. It was just it would lock into a jaw, and it was a combination lap belt shoulder belt. It was the easiest thing to use, totally comfortable, totally awesome. And I don't know why they they modified that. It might have been I don't know why, but uh, it's just the Swedes being ahead of their ahead of their curve, so to speak, with safety. And I don't know how many lives uh, or serious injuries would have been prevented in the last 60 years since the three-point seatbelt has been uh, in use, but it's definitely a a very significant automotive advancement. So, um, you know, congratulations to, um, you know, Volvo for um, thinking of that and bringing it to market in 1959. And actually, next time I see my buddy's 59 Volvo, I'm going to take a look closer look at the seat belts and i've watched them buckle up and it's it's really cool thinking that those were factory in 1959 
If you like what uh, the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is all about, you can uh, listen, subscribe, and rate us on very on a bunch of different platforms. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. All you have to do is search for Radio Misfits. You can also search directly for the Car Guys Report. And when you do, make sure you subscribe to us. You'll get a, a notification every time there's new uh, content from the car guys report and you can also take a few moments and rate us too we'd love to uh have some more uh five-star reviews thanks so much to everybody that has taken the time to uh, give us a nice review and we would certainly appreciate your review as well we also like to know uh what you uh, think of our show you can also uh, leave that in the review or you can also of course email us at carguysreport at hotmail.com the best thing to remember about the car guys report and radio misfits and all the podcasts that are available through the radio misfits podcast network everything is totally free and it's listening on your terms whenever you want wherever you want that's what uh, podcasting is all about and we're happy to be part of that here on the car guys report informed automotive lou's kind of champing at the bit here waiting to uh, get his uh, his uh, two cents in for this uh, program uh this time and we're going to talk about uh, what's coming up on my car story with lou his popular youtube channel and do you, i don't know if you have another quiz for me today or well today's quiz funny you should say that mark i happen to have some quiz notes for you um Versus a Quiznos sub, which yeah. I don't think they're around anymore, right? It was a Quiznos <laughs> sub. The, uh, the three, here's, here's the rules to the game. Uh, this is specifically based on my YouTube channel, My Car Story with Lou. I load cars. I keep them in the same time frame, so we're not talking about a car I loaded in 2014 and a car I loaded in 2019 or whatever. So these are all three cars that were loaded at the same time, and we gave them a little time to percolate and heat up and see what the views came out to. So based on views, I give Mark three cars, and he has to figure out which one was the most popular on the channel and which one was the least popular. And this is so totally this is unrehearsed. Unrehearsed. Here we go. Yeah. So he hasn't seen these answers up front. So I'm going to give you the three, and I usually like to mix it up, and let me define sure. mix it up. You'll hear it in the first one. The youngest car in the group is a 69 and a half dodge super b a12 with a mod floral top the one and only oh mod i've seen floral those top. yeah i've seen the ads for those i've never seen one and yeah that's rare so so there's that one number two on the list is we're going all the way to the other end 2019 dodge challenger red eye hellcat with a hearst edition of that hellcat okay and lastly, as a 1970 Mercury Cougar Eliminator uh, in green with a Boss 302. So it's got to uh, be the Floral Top Super B. The Floral Top Super B is not number one. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I just like thought that's you, so quirky and so rare it, that it would just. It is. Yeah. It's supposedly the only one known to have a mod floral top in wow. the A12 option. But wow. the number one one was the Boss Eliminator. Okay. The Mercury Cougar Boss Eliminator, which had uh, 7,000 views versus 3,700. Now, again, this was somewhat earlier. I'm sure they got much more now, but at the time. So, and the last one came in was as, the the, as the as the red eye Hellcat. Yeah, that's which, what I figured. That would be number three. I didn't think that was going to be no, so number three because I thought it would have caught more of the attention with the newness. And I just like think that. it's. It, I think that's part of the reason why it wasn't because people are kind of Hellcatted out right now. I think with all the different variations, and I don't know what the Hearst package was, but I can definitely see the the, the Eliminator Cougar is a very cool car. Yeah. But that floral top is just crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, I, I thought that would cool. be 
hands down, yeah. knock it out of the park. And, and it's not doing poorly on the channel, but I'm just saying I thought that was so... And let me even define how that happened. So I'm at Carlisle uh, at the Ford Nationals, and they have a building called Building T. And Building T is basically the top building. It's not necessarily T because of that, but for some reason that's the place where they put all of the cars they're featuring at that particular show. So every year they like to have a different theme. Well, this year's theme was... Um, um, Superbirds and A12s. So you have 12 A12s side by side by side, which are the uh, Roadrunner looking with a hood that comes off with no hinges on it sure. that sits on your roof yeah. of your car with a 446 barrel. And when you're looking at 12 of them side by side, they have no hubcaps on the back. They were basically a street-rotted car to begin with. And you're trying to figure out which one you want to do. And you're going, okay, that one's great. Okay, that one's great. That one's great. What? And you look at the one with the mod top, <laughs> which is like a floral pattern. Yeah. Uh, you know, it would look like a floral pattern from the Brady Bunch back exactly, in the 60s yeah. that you were talking about earlier. And you're watching this as its vinyl top, which a car like that many times wouldn't have a yeah. vinyl top. So it was kind of cool. So. Wow. Wow. Uh, what do you have coming up on the channel that's, uh, I mean, it's always of interest, but of special note. You know, I've got a... Uh, um, a 30s Bentley coming up okay. on the channel. So, I mean, not many of those running around. No. And then there's a, uh, um, and those don't get a lot of play, but I love the rarity of those. There's a, a, a one of three ASA 1000 GT convertible, one of three. So okay. that's kind of cool. And then um, I just videoed a 1963 Plymouth Savoy Max Wedge. Cool. That is all um restored and looks originally like what it, the, the, basically a, a a pro stock race mm -hmm. drag car yeah you know no mirror on the driver's side window battery in the trunk yeah cool so that's yeah so that's kind of pretty cool with the jc penny slicks yeah still on <laughs> oh, it wow yeah with the bolted into the rim um uh, wheel so cool. yeah, and the tire even says on there something like only for racing yeah. use or something I mean, it's just <laughs> not the, for use on yeah, the street yeah, not for use on the street and of course we took it for a ride <laughs> on the street so uh, see ladies and gentlemen that's the kind of stuff that lou digs up for his uh youtube channel my car story with lou stuff that you will not see anywhere else and you can live vicariously through Lou's excitement on his channel and always some very cool things to uh, check out so make sure you check out uh, my car story with Lou on YouTube and coming up on the next episode of the car guys report we'll talk about some cool contributions from early automotive designers and we'll also talk about Ferrari they're getting ready to yes introduce their own SUV just as much as anyone else is introducing their own SUVs and a Ferrari puts their spin on it. We'll talk about that on the next episode of the Car Guys Report. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Luke Costable. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Car Guys Report. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is the word hippo spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H, shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with the Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Check it all out on radiomisfits.com. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up?
You think it's rough being a manager or coach in professional sports leagues in America? The Premier League season's only a few weeks old, and already one manager has been fired. Watford sacked their coach. On this week's Free Kicks, we try to figure out which coach is next. My money is on the baby-faced assassin. <laughs> Free Kicks with Adam and Rick is a Tony Lozano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Lozano and Friends. I do this podcast. Really? Yeah, you should listen to it. Yeah. What's it called? Well, Lozano and Friends. Lasano and Friends or Lasano and Friends? No, it's Lasano. It's totally different. Oh, yeah. Go yeah. crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. It'd be nice if Tony were actually here today for this uh, promo we're doing. No, I think a promo stands on its own better when the star of the show is not in it whatsoever. Wow. Are we friends with each other or just Tony? I'm friends on Facebook. Yeah, we're hey, hey, friends hey, on hey, Facebook. Quite, quite, quite. Well, yeah. Lasano and Friends. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. So is this really a promo? How long are we going? (laughs) RadioMisfits.com